We are continuing our study in the book of 2 Corinthians. We come to this passage in 12, chapter 12, verses 1 through 6. I've entitled it, A Visions and Revelations. You can call it Boastings of Visions and Revelations or uh, something like that. Uh, we, I know we focus on, and we will a little bit on the third heaven, what that means, uh, as well as some other uh, uh, things about this. But uh, if you remember, he has been talking, uh, well, let's, Let's cover the whole book for just a moment. First of all, the whole book is an answer to people who were critical uh, of Paul and even denying that he was an apostle, uh, denying that he had any kind of authority uh, for the people of Corinth. And they were mostly Judaizers, though, though I would say that there were probably some Gnostics sprinkled here and there. Uh, so they were boasting of what their work was in order to discredit Paul, and so Paul is going, having to go through and has over the past couple of chapters on what he has to boast about. And we come to this part where he says, it is doubtless not profitable for me to boast. He said something similar to this several times, and here's what I think Paul is saying, and I, well, I think we'll see that in just a moment. This is a waste of my time. I don't want to have to boast. But they have forced my hand to, for me to boast because they've been doing this and because they're now discrediting me. Paul never wanted the focus to be on him. Uh, really, as we'll see in just a little bit, he wanted his focus really to be about his work and everything that he was doing as far as what Jesus is. But his, really, he wanted Jesus to get the credit. And again, we'll see that in just a little bit. And next week, that'll even be much more evident uh, that that's his design, uh, is that he wants that um, that boasting to be in Christ but he says it is doubtless not profitable for me to boast so he, he I don't want to do this I feel compelled to do this I don't and that's what he's saying uh, and has been saying for quite a while so now he's going to talk about visions and revelations remember he talked about all this suffering all the work that he's done and he's been boasting about those things though he doesn't want to boast uh, so now he's coming to visions what does he mean by visions in Acts 26 and verse 12, <clears throat> when uh, Paul was going uh, to talk to King Agrippa, he says, While thus occupied as I journeyed to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priests, and that authority, remember, and uh, commission he was given was to kill the Christians, basically to end the Christian movement. Uh, but he journeyed with, with authority and commission from the chief priests at midday, O king, Along the road, I saw a light from heaven. I think that's interesting at midday, but that's for another time and topic. But he says it was brighter than the sun shining around me and those who journeyed with me. And remember, that's when he talked with Jesus and Jesus said, uh, it's not possible for me. It's, it, for, it's not good for you to kick against the goads. Remember that? Uh, that and it's his wait for Ananias and Ananias will come to you. And that's that's this story when he received this vision. And that's what he's talking about. Uh, when he's talking about a vision, a vision from heaven. You might think of Stephen. Whenever Stephen was getting stoned, when he looked up into heaven, he saw everything part there for him. So that's the type of vision he's talking about, something that was shown to him as Jesus would have been shown to him. Uh, as he says in, uh, as, uh, later on in that same passage, Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. It's the same concept there. Okay, so then he goes on and he says, I'm going to talk, I'm going to boast about visions and revelations. And there's a lot of, by the way, this whole passage, there's a lot of different 
views on what this could mean uh, from one commentary to the next. I'm giving you my understanding. Uh, that's all I can do. <laughs> so um, here he talks about the revelations. What does he mean by that? Well, in Ephesians 3 and verse 1, it says, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. The revelation is kind of a, uh, described as a rolling out. Uh, so as, as this scroll, think of a scroll being rolled out, uh, it's, the more is rolled out, the more is revealed. That's the idea of revelation. Uh, so he talks about the mystery, the mystery of the dispensation of grace or when the gospel and what all that means uh, when that is spread out and rolled out, how that was revealed to him and how he wrote that down so that others could be able to read it as well and understand the mystery as it was revealed to him. So in one way, a vision would be something that is uh, kind of in a dream type state uh, or something like that and, and a vision is made and revelation is something that's kind of fed to you, uh, given to you the, um, almost the words uh, themselves so that's kind of the difference between the two from what I can tell so he's he's going to talk about those a couple of things and he's that's what he's talking about with this third heaven but he says I know a man in Christ and this is probably one of the most difficult things about the passage he first of all says he's going to boast even though he thinks it's useless to boast but he feels compelled to boast and then he says I know a man so who's he talking about? I mean, that begs the question, right? And I think it'll be evident who he's talking about in just a moment. First of all, we know that the man was in Christ. So we're talking about a Christian here of who, he's, who he is talking about. So he says, I know a man who is a Christian. Okay. In the fifth verse, and I think the crux of what he's saying is in verse 2. So we're going to spend a lot of time in verse 2 to understand the whole of the six verses in verse number five he says of such one i will boast yet of myself i will not boast except in my infirmities so he's saying this is a modest way of him saying i'm not going to boast about this i'm just revealing it to you i'm sharing this with you <coughs> i'm not boasting in this in the way that we might think of boasting he's what he's doing is he's uh, getting to the, the question about his credibility. That's what he's doing. And so he doesn't want to boast about this. But he says, of such, I, I will boast. Of such a situation, I think is what he's saying. Of this thing. Not necessarily the person, but the circumstance. As we continue on in verse 6, he says, For though I might desire to boast, I will not be a fool, for I will speak the truth. I'm just telling you what happened. And this is the first record, by, of the, by the way, of this happening. But he says, but I refrain, lest anyone should think of me above what he sees me to be or hears from me. So he's saying all this while, I'm not going to boast about me. So I know a man, and that's the terms that he puts it in, because he doesn't want to be elevated, even though he's speaking a truth of something that happened, because he's having to answer about his credibility. I hope this makes sense, uh, what I'm trying to say. 
And we know that from verse 7, and I'm only going to cover a little bit of this because it's going to be covered next week. But he says, And lest I should be, exa- I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations. This was his revelation, his vision. Notice that he says, lest I should be exalted. I don't want to boast about this. I'm going to tell you the truth. But the reason he says, I know a man, is because he doesn't want to give all of, he doesn't want to put himself above uh, what they might elevate him to if, uh, you know, this particular story has happened. So that's why I think he says, I know a man, even though he's talking about himself. If he's not talking about himself, why would he even put it in here in this section? That's what really doesn't make sense. Uh, if he's talking about anybody else, why would he say, well, I know a guy who got caught up in the third heaven, and I'm, I'm going to boast about that in the middle of my boasting about me. It doesn't really make sense. And so it makes more sense for him to say that about him. And here he's saying, I'm, I'm trying to keep this as modest as I can. That's what I think he's trying to say and do. So he says, I know a man who 14 years ago, so that gives us a little bit of a timeline. Most people believe that this letter was written about around 57 A.D. So if we go back in time, let's look at Acts 9. Uh, this is when Saul was converted. He says, As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goats. So we just talked about that a little bit ago. Is this what he's talking about? Well, the, the problem is, in that, <clears throat> excuse me, in that instance, is that people already knew about that. <laughs> okay. Uh, the other pro- problem is, this would have been about 20 years ago, not 14. Uh, so he's not talking about this time. This would have been too early, 20 to 25, something like that. Then in Acts 22 and verse 17, uh, now he's also answering for uh, his conviction and who he is. But he says, now it happened when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple that I was in a trance and saw him saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly for they will not receive your testimony concerning me. So here we have this record of him being in a trance. So. Could he be talking about this? Well, the problem with that is this is beyond the 14 years. It's too, too recent uh, for that to have been the case. Uh, and the other thing is, is he specifically says here, I was in a trance. And in just a moment, we're going to see, as well, you could tell from the reading, uh, that he didn't know whether he was in a trance or not. Obviously, this case, he knows he was a trance. So about what time are we talking about? Well, I believe... Acts 11, 25 and 26. Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year they assembled the church with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Timeline-wise, he would have been somewhere in Tarsus or in Antioch. Uh, somewhere in there. Uh, so it would have been prior to his becoming an apostle. Prior to Acts 13 when he was called to go and do that with Barnabas. Okay, so that's about that time. And there's a lot of theories as to why this occurred. Uh, For him, maybe it was because uh, the conjecture is that he knew, God knew what kind of things he was going to have to face, all the things that he wrote before, uh, the distresses, the 
40 stripes minus one, all those different things, and with that vision or whatever happened, it would be helpful to him. It's conjecture, though, so you can do that with what, what you want. Again, verse 2, whether in the body, I do not know. Whether out of the body, I do not know. God knows. Whatever, this, whatever it was, in, 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 a, in or out of the body experience, he just he didn't know. So whether it was a trance. Let's talk about that for just a moment. In 2 Kings chapter 2 and verse 11, it says, Then it happened as they continued on, this being Elijah and Elisha, and talked, that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire and separated the two of them, and Elijah went up by, up by a whirlwind into heaven. So there's no record whatsoever of Elijah ever dying. He just, in the body, went to heaven. Okay. Now notice Matthew 17. And verse 1 says, Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him, talking with Jesus. So Jesus was transfigured and changed right there in front of Peter, James, and John. And now Moses and Elijah are having a conversation with Jesus. Now neither one of them talked to Peter, James, and John. But they did talk with Jesus. So my point in this is that it is possible, and certainly God can do whatever He wants, uh, for them to be able to take uh, Paul and in the body, take him up to heaven if you wanted to, have a conversation with him and send him back uh, to earth. That is possible. And that's the in the body. Now the out of the body, or I mean that's, yeah. The other, Acts 10 and verse 10, this is when Peter uh, was going to be told to go and speak to the first Gentile convert. Says, then he, that being Peter, became very hungry and wanted to eat. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven opened up, opened and an object like a great sheet bound in the four corners descending to him and let down to the earth. And in this case, he's in kind of a dreamlike state. He's in a trance. And this vision comes to him of this sheet being lowered down. It's being held by the four corners. And then that's going to eventually open up to him and all kinds of food to be there. Since he was hungry, uh, he was ready to eat. In this case, it was... He was not really in the body going to heaven. It was just a vision or a trance-like. And that's what I think Paul is saying here. Whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. Whether it was a trance or whether I was literally taken up, I don't know. And God knows. And it would be foolish for any of us to suppose. What difference does it make? <laughs> there's, there's, You could write in commentaries what you think it is, but... Who cares? Paul didn't even know, and we're we're gonna try to say what it was. We don't know. That's all we. In the, in the immortal words of Forrest Gump, that's all I have to say about that. <clears throat> he says that such a one, that one individual, that of course we know he's talking about himself, was caught up. That's an interesting phrase that's used there. This word "caught up." In Matthew eleven and verse twelve, it means to take by force. In Matthew 13, the parable of the sower, it means to snatch away. Same Greek word. In Acts 8:39, whenever uh, Philip was talk after he talked to the eunuch, the Lord caught Philip away. Same word. And in 1 Thessalonians 4, when he is talking to them about those who are sleeping and would 
rise from the dead. He says, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them, those that were dead and resurrected. So you, what you get is a sense that, the, that Paul was literally grabbed and taken. That's the picture that we get from the word that was used. And I just thought that was really interesting. Uh, and it's a way also for him to talk about this and his credibility, again, without boasting. He had no control whatsoever about this, could he? He couldn't control whether he was caught up, uh, taken by force. Uh, so his, his bragging, so to speak, uh, is not in himself, but what had happened and had occurred. And then he says he was caught up to the third heaven. Now here's what in the world. <laughs> the third heaven. There's a lot of conjecture about this too. Um, the Jews actually believed, I believe, in seven heavens. Uh, there are others who believe in multiple heavens. So what does he mean by the third heaven? I'm going to give you my best explanation. That's all I can do. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 7. It says, Thus God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so, and God called the firmament heaven. So the evening and the morning were the second day. So when God created the earth, there was water, a canopy of water that surrounded the earth. And what it produced was a, a, a greenhouse uh, for all of the earth. And so the temperature was always perfect. Remember, it had never rained. Uh, all of that because this canopy of water. <clears throat> so your first heaven would be where the clouds are. That's, uh, you know, remember Genesis 1, uh, verse 1, God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, so one heaven is below that firmament or below that wall of water or canopy. And that would be what we would call uh, just right out here, kind of our atmosphere. And we do know from space exploration that coming back, there is a, 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 a place where if they don't get that angle just right, the whole thing will burn up or they'll bounce right off, those types of things. That barrier, then that next level beyond, is the second heaven. Uh, and that's where space, the sun, and the moon, stars, and so on and so forth, that's where that second heaven is. So where's the third heaven? He tells us in verse 4 that he was caught up in the paradise. I don't think he's saying he was caught up into the third heaven and then at some other point he was caught up into paradise. He's saying the same thing. He was, the third heaven is paradise. So what does he mean by that? Luke 23 and verse 43, Jesus says to the thief hanging there with him, Assuredly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise so wherever jesus was going was called paradise and he told the thief there today you'll be with me in paradise so where did jesus go acts chapter 2 and verse 31 says he david foreseeing this spoke concerning the resurrection of the christ that his soul was not left in hades nor did his flesh see corruption okay so now we're getting a bit of a picture Paradise is where Jesus went. Hades is also where Jesus went, right? When he died. Because that's what he says. His soul was not left in Hades. In Luke chapter 16 and verse 23, 
Jesus is telling us this story about the rich man and Lazarus. And he says, And being in torments, the rich man in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. So we see that in Hades there are two different places, a place of comfort or paradise and a place of torment. To illustrate that, while we're on, the, on earth, that's the place of life. We're in one of two conditions. We're either the saved or we're the lost. When we die, we go to one of two places. We either go to paradise or we go to torments. Paradise can also be described as uh, the bosom of Abraham, however you want to. Uh, in that story, we also see that there's a great gulf fixed. There's a whole sermon and all kinds of things that we could get on just that chart right there. Um, but I don't have time to do that this evening. Um, but we know that that is called Hades. This whole area right here is called Hades. And it's really three parts. Paradise, this great gulf that is fixed between the two, and torment. A place of torment. So when Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise, he was talking about right there. Now, the fourth heaven then would be where? Well, that'd be right there, wouldn't it? Okay, so the third heaven uh, would be right there in paradise. Which means garden. So when he talks about the, the Septuagint, when it talks about the Garden of Eden, that's the Greek, uh, it's the same word as paradise. Garden of Eden and paradise are the same. Uh, so that's the third heaven uh, that I believe Paul was talking about. While there, he heard inexpressible words. That was a little bit of a challenge to understand because uh, in some versions it says things like words not allowed, uh, words unspeakable, I think was the word. So I had to do a little digging, which is hard to do because this word is never used except here in the New Testament. Uh, but... The opposite of that word is in 1 Timothy 4 and verse 1. I say the opposite. It says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. That word expressly is the same thing as inexpressible, except it adds the antonym or the prefix to make it not. It's not expressible. So when the Spirit here expressly says in this third heaven, he was... He could not express. That's what I think he's saying. There aren't, there aren't words uh, to really tell you uh, what it is. So then he goes on and he says, which is not lawful for a man to utter. Again, that word lawful, what, is, what exactly does that mean? Uh, does he mean that it's against the law? Maybe. So let's. why would it be against the law to talk about things that he saw, things that he heard? while in paradise what what would be so wrong about that well here's what i think he means and i i think it's explained in luke chapter 6 and verse 1 it says now it happened on the second sabbath after the first that he went through the grain fields and his disciples plucked the heads of grain and ate them rubbing them in their hands <coughs> and some of the pharisees said to them why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the sabbath Okay, now we know the law of the Sabbath, that, that you are to not do any work. So here they come to this field, 
and they're hungry, and so they take some to eat. Now, they weren't collecting, and that's a big difference. Uh, where the Pharisees had taken this so far uh, that you could not collect, uh, which was true, but here they were hungry and they were eating. So Jesus answering them said, Have you not even read this, what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he went into the house of God, took and ate the showbread, and also gave some to those with him, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat. So David, also hungry, and his company is hungry, and they come to the temple. They're not allowed to eat the showbread, or tabernacle, sorry. Uh, they come to the tabernacle where they're not allowed to eat the showbread. Only the priests are allowed to eat the showbread, but they ate anyway. And God did not condemn him for that. Because sometimes what he's talking about lawful, that was unlawful, but it was, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, proper. It was more proper for them to eat than to starve. Even though it might have been unlawful to do that. So uh, even laws have their varying degrees. Because he goes on, he said to them, the Son of Man is also the Lord of the Sabbath. But then another instance comes up. Now it happened on another Sabbath also that he entered the synagogue and taught. And a man was there whose right hand was withered. So here this man was uh, crippled in his hand. So the scribes and Pharisees watched him closely, whether he would heal on the Sabbath that they might find an accusation against him. So they see Jesus there and they think, we're going to get him. <laughs> he's going to heal this guy. He just can't help himself. And when he does, he's working on the Sabbath and we'll have him. That's what they were thinking. But he knew their thoughts and said to the man who had the withered hand, arise and stand here. And he rose and stood. Then Jesus said to them, I will ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy? Now the law was don't do any work on the Sabbath day, right? That's the, how do you keep it holy? That's the law. But which is proper? What is proper is for you to do good on the Sabbath day. And that trumps the law, part of it. I hope this makes any kind of sense. So he goes on, and when he looked around at them all, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored as whole as the other. See, it was more proper to do what was better and best for that individual than what the law was even intended to do. So what I think Paul is saying when he's talking about whether those things were unlawful to say, it's just not proper. That's what I really think he's saying. It's really not to your benefit. It's not to anybody's benefit. It just it would re, it would look like bragging. Okay, so in that sense, I think he's not talking about it's against the law. I think he's talking about it's just not the proper thing to do. Uh, is to talk about what I saw. The point was it happened, and it wasn't even him doing it. It was the fact that he was caught up. But he had to talk about it because the other stuff he had already talked about, and he had to. He had a credibility issue, and he had to take care of that uh, with those people. So what can we learn from this? Number one, Paul is a, an authority that we're supposed to listen to. I, you know, there are a number of people today that will dismiss what Paul says throughout all Scripture. And they will give all kinds of reasons. He was a woman hater which is not true. 
They will say all kinds of things like uh, about him, that it was his circumstance. It was just what was going on politically at the time is because of this or that. That's not what he's saying here, is it? The whole section that he's talking about, all this boasting that he's doing, is because we ought to listen to him. Matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 37, remember that he says, what I speak to you, I speak as the commandments of the Lord. Let him who is spiritual be spiritual and acknowledge that I speak these things as a command of the Lord. There's not a single part that Paul wrote that we don't have to listen to. He is an authority given by God. Secondly, we ought to obey authorities. Uh, Hebrews 13 and verse 17 says, Obey them that have rule over you, for they watch for your souls. So we ought to obey those that are in authority. God placed them in authority. Whether we want to recognize that or not, He has. It's what He's done. Uh, anytime we, if we put elders in place in this congregation, we're going to do that from the Holy Spirit giving us the directions in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1. Therefore, it is the Holy Spirit ordaining those men to do that. See? Uh, if we do it <laughs> like we're supposed to by using 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 as our guidelines. And so when that is done, God says you obey them. Okay? Number three, <clears throat> we need to judge actions, not the heart. What these uh, people were trying to do was to discredit Paul and he is saying, look at, what I've, look at these actions. Judge my actions. This is what I'm doing, uh, good or bad, basically. And, uh, of course, Jesus says in Matthew 7, 1 through 6, he says, don't judge anyone hastily. Whatever judgment you use will be used against you in judgment. Uh, so if we, if we judge someone prematurely without knowing all the facts, those types of things, or we're trying to judge the heart. But later on, in that same chapter, verses 15 through 20, he says, Beware of false prophets, for by their fruit you shall know them. So in, in another way, he's telling us we need to judge people, but we judge their actions, not their heart. Uh, matter of fact, in the Bible, judging the heart is called evil surmising because we're supposing we can't read anybody's hearts. We are surmising or coming up with what we think that person is thinking or doing uh, uh, from their heart. We don't have the right to do that. We can't heart so we judge people by their actions not their heart we can certainly judge Paul by his actions and that brings us back to number one which is we need to listen to Paul <clears throat> number four is let your fruit speak for you throughout this whole thing Paul is like I don't want to have to do this they forced my hand to do this I don't want to have to brag about this or boast about this I, I don't want to talk about this I want my focus to be on my weakness and what Christ does for me. And I believe he's even done that with being caught up in the third heaven. Uh, there. And he's going to go on and talk about the thorn in the flesh. But Proverbs 27 and verse 2 talks about, Let others brag about you, don't brag about yourself. And so let your fruit uh, speak for you. So those are the uh, lessons that <coughs> I had to pull out of there. <laughs> uh, for us to have any kind of lessons for us. Uh, I hope this has been interesting and I hope you know it's six verses and really we covered the one in detail because <clears throat> that was the thrust of it, of it all and it i hope it made sense uh i was worried about it going long just because it's 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 a lot to tackle in just one verse 
to talk about that. But uh, hopefully it's been helpful to you, and hopefully it makes some sort of sense. If you have any questions or comments about that, uh, be sure to talk to me, and uh, I'll muddle through whatever. And I'll, I'll listen to you if you have any ideas about what you think uh, the third heaven might be and what that means. Uh, so, that being said, <coughs> uh, if there is a need that you might have, um, you know, one of the reasons that we assemble here uh, is because we need each other. Uh, we talked a little bit about that on, on Sunday, but it's about us coming together and be, being part of a family, being part of a team, uh, uh, being unified in our efforts, one heart, one mind, one spirit, and so forth. And when one of the members is suffering, then we all suffer. And if you're suffering with something and we don't know it, we can't help you through whatever burden it is that you are going through. And if you need the prayers of the church and for us to stand by your side and to be there for you, we want to be able to do that. Uh, just let us know by coming forward and sitting on the front as we stand and sing.